Well, I've got a very special guest today, Mike Jorgensen, Oregon radio color commentator for over 30 years. He's got plenty of wisdom as it pertains to the Georgia game, and we're getting into the ma- that matchup too, because it is here, as in tomorrow. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching right now. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already and all of you who continue to do so. And in advance, thank you for everyone who will continue to do so because I anticipate it and I hope it happens. And I am joined today by a very special guest who will be down in Atlanta on the call on the radio with Jerry Allen and Joey Mack working at the sidelines. His name is Mike Jorgensen. He goes by Jorgie. You hear him in the illustrious trio of Jerry, Jorgie, and Joey on the radio calls. One of the voices of my childhood and now my adulthood as well. Jorgie, it is just an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, Spencer. Great to be here. It really is. It's it's time for football, man. It's just <laughs> there, there is a time of year when it, it needs to start, and it has started. Last week, obviously, and big weekend this weekend with college football. Ducks part of it. I can't wait. Yeah, it is long overdue. Uh, you know, I don't think I've ever been so excited for a college football season. Maybe it's because it's just in these last few months I've started working here at Locked On and hosting shows and talking about football all the time. And I think the realignment stuff is also making me more excited because it's interesting. It's fascinating. I love talking about it. But now... I want some actual football to to talk about, and I'm sure you feel that way as well. And, and let's get to uh, the Georgia game tomorrow. What do you see as kind of the, the biggest opportunity here for Oregon? How do you contextualize what this game means for the Ducks to, to go play in a Chick-fil-A kickoff game, a non-conference game against Georgia down in Atlanta, an SEC opponent? How do you feel about all that sort of stuff? Well, you know what? I get excited about these type of games. You know, Oregon has played in quite a few of them over time. You know, just this last year in Columbus, playing Ohio State, not necessarily any type of kickoff classic like the Chick-fil-A one is, but at the same time, second game of the season, you're in Columbus, Ohio, playing a big-time big, big time opponent. And, uh, and Oregon came with victory. And, and you just – you never know when you're going into one of those type of games. I can remember Jerry Allen, our play-by-play guy, and I talking about it before the game and saying, you know, if we can just be in it at halftime, just be in it at halftime, you never know what's going to happen. And Oregon was ahead 14-7. Uh, C.J. Verdell, big run to open the second half, 21-7, just like that. And the Ducks held on for a big victory in Columbus. And those are the type of things that, that can happen. When you play in big games like this, uh, particularly on the road, it again, neutral site, but it's in Atlanta. It's a home game for the Georgia Bulldogs. There's no doubt about it. And it's an opportunity. I know this team looks at it as an opportunity, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that would say, why would you play this big a game early in the season? It can put you underwater right off the bat, depending on how the game outcome is. The LSUs, the Auburns. Last year, the Ohio State game. This year, the Georgia game. You know, depending on how that the outcome of that outcome of that game can really determine the trajectory of your season, either playing from behind the eight ball or in front of the eight ball the rest of the season. And so, but you know, the opportunity is what it is. 
I like Oregon's chances in this particular game. I like the way that they've built, and Dan Lanning has quickly latched onto this defense uh, going back there and playing in a big game, coincidentally, against his old team, the Georgia Bulldogs, which is pretty interesting. But uh, I think it's just a great way to kick off college football, and I know this team, the Oregon Ducks, wouldn't have it any other way. I'm sure there are some fans who feel the way that that you alluded to of like, well, why play these games if you're just going to get punished for uh, the record? But you have to look at the other side of the coin, which is exactly what happened in 2021. Sure, you you could have scheduled an easier team like a a non-Power 5 school or something and gone on the road, and it would have been a decent, respectable win, but it wouldn't have been as as ground-shaking as that Ohio State victory. And, And I, as an Oregon fan, want the Ducks to play against the best because I want to see how they match up against the best. And I think there is a possibility that this game could maybe get away from Oregon. I don't think that's what happens, but the possibility certainly looms with with a team that recruits like Georgia does year in and year out. Even with all the losses, they've got high four and five-star kids waiting in the wings just up and down that roster. But if that's a team that's going to be able to get back to the college football playoff, I want to see where Oregon stacks up. And a year ago, I didn't think the Ducks could win that game at Ohio State, and then they did. And you get an understanding of where you're at as a program. So at the very least, Georgie, I feel like it's a good barometer to see not just how the rest of the season will play out with, you know, which players are starting, who shows, you know, a little bit more than what we thought they were maybe capable of, who's not what we thought they would be. But it's a good barometer for, I think, what to expect for, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely there. I mean, it is one of those ones where, you know, when Oregon went to Columbus last year, if we're going to bring in that 21 uh, season, um, you know, when Oregon went to Columbus last year, again, like I said, we didn't know what was going to happen. Frankly, figured that Ohio State was going to probably take care of business. But if you hang in there to the to, to the bitter end or at least till halftime, you got a chance. And, and Oregon came away with victory. And it's funny how, I think last season, if you'd have played Ohio State in game nine or 10, it might have been a different story because yeah. the Buckeyes were really good at the end of the season, yep. but not necessarily at the beginning of the season because of some new players in, in specific high-level positions that are you know game-breaking type of, of positions. Uh, C.J. Stroud wasn't really seasoned like he was later in the season, and, and so – you know, th- that's what I think is an opportunity here for Oregon against Georgia. Georgia, you think about all the guys that the NFL took off that team, let alone just in the first round off the defensive side of the ball. Five guys. And yeah, five guys. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and along the defensive line, I think three of the five guys were defensive linemen. And so you take a look at that unit and how it's been a little bit depleted, and yet the way that the Georgia Bulldogs recruit year after year after year, but they are going to be inserting some young guys in those key positions, filling in for NFL-caliber type players, first-rounders, let alone. So, you know, I I think, again, Oregon's opportunity is there. You know, Stetson Bennett, Georgia's quarterback, a a seasoned guy, I think, that really peaked towards the end of last season, that national championship victory over – uh, Alabama, uh, his effort in that second half of that particular cha- that championship game, that particular game was off the charts. And that's what really has carried him forward. He's a guy that's, uh, you know, four to one ratio of TDs to interceptions. So he manages games really well. He's not spectacular. He's got a great tight end in Brock Bowers, which is going to be a matchup nightmare for Oregon's linebackers and DBs. But 
Having said that, I still like the fact that that's two main players and with a whole bunch gone. And then on the defensive side of the ball for Georgia, a lot of defenders gone. And I think Oregon uh, returns a lot of vets at the offensive line, at the defensive line, at the linebacker position. You know, I like their chances, particularly with the strength of this Oregon team right now, at least early in the season, being the defense. Defense generally keeps you in games. Offense needs to be able to win it. So we'll see how it plays out. But again, I think the other thing, Spencer, I want to say is think about the value of that victory Oregon had when they did beat Ohio State and had a horrible, horrible, ugly loss to Stanford. And yet they still stayed within the top five or top six because of that victory over Ohio State. So, again, I'm not looking for a moral victory here just to go back and show up and play a close game with Georgia. I'm hoping the Oregon Ducks take care of business. But if you don't take care of business and you still play a competitive game, I don't think it hurts you whatsoever as to your aspirations to get it into the playoff and a potential championship game. Yeah, I like the points that, that you brought up with regards to the Ohio State game. And it's easier to beat a really good team early in the year, right? I mean, last year, Georgia beat Clemson, what was it, 10-3 to 3 in week one? And we viewed those teams very differently by the end of the year. We thought Georgia would be really good. They were, won the national championship. We thought Clemson would be really good, but they kind of took a, a step back. And Clemson, I think, last year is a team that Oregon could be as good as this year. But they took Georgia down to the wire. It was ugly. It was a slugfest reminiscent uh, of the Toilet Bowl, a game I'm sure uh, you remember quite well. And it was no, just... all right we'll we'll move on from that but i I think you make a good point about how how teams are are different at different points in the year i remember after uh, utah lost that rose bowl in what was a fantastic game against ohio state my dad had a hilarious quote he said so if we beat ohio state and and ohio state beat utah does that mean we are better than utah (laughs) <laughs> that, that answer Oregon lost to him twice okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but plenty more coming with Georgie but first the message from the NHTSA are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stone what's the worst that can happen you end up driving below the speed limit it's no big deal right very wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high to get a DUI. This message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Jorge, do you think there are any lessons or just kind of thoughts that that Duck fans should have in mind going into this Georgia game based on the experience you have calling these sorts of games and watching them up close? You think of LSU in 2011, certainly Ohio State in 2021, Auburn in 2019, Tennessee in 2010. That was a raucous environment. That game was tied at the half and Oregon ended up pulling away. But is there any commonality amongst those games that you feel will translate over into this matchup with the Bulldogs? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, that, that, that LSU game followed an Auburn championship game. So you go back to back SEC teams in that particular year, the, the trip back to Tennessee, 
even though uh, Oregon, I thought, was clearly the superior team, just getting off to the right start against an SEC team in a hostile atmosphere, one of the top five places I've ever been to in Knoxville. That was pretty Rocky cool. Top. Oh, Rocky oh, Top. Oh, boy, that was that, – that, and, and the lightning storm that night, but, but I won't go there. It was pretty It was pretty amazing. But, you know, this team has traveled over time, over the last couple of decades in particular, uh, to difficult places to play. Um, not always SEC foes, you know, Virginia back in, in Charlottesville and places like that where you're, I guess what I'm saying is you're, you're traveling across the country to play somebody on the premier game of the week. And that's the way it's going to be with Georgia, you know, with the three thirty kick Eastern time is to be on ABC, to have Todd Blackledge and Will McDonough or Sean McDonough doing the game and, and, you know, just, just having it be prime time. Uh, these teams know how to do it. These players have been in that situation before. And uh, Coach Dan Lanning, obviously, heading up the group and having a, having put together a, an excellent staff, is used to it because of his Georgia days and some of the previous days, but particularly you know his coaching time at Georgia and the big games that they played in week after week after week and playoff games and SEC championship games and whatever else it might be. He gets it and is able to pass it along with his team. And so, you know, lessons learned uh, from playing these type of games, whether you want to play them in, in them or not, in that type of deal. Oregon has fared well, uh, even in losses. I think that they have fared well. They haven't embarrassed themselves. They've played well. They've uh, they've uh, had an opportunity to represent the Pac-12 well as one of the premier programs of the last 10 to 15 years in this league uh, with multiple Pac-12 championships and Rose Bowl wins and national uh, either playoff appearances or national championship games. You know, I don't think these type of games have hurt Oregon. And so the lesson, I guess, that I look at and the commonality between these games is Oregon deserves to play in these games and they play well and they represent well. And I don't I don't expect anything different this year. Um, I just think that Dan Lanning and his staff has these guys ready to go. I think they have the right ingredients to play in a very competitive game against the defending national championship, uh, defending national champions in a game like this, they've got every opportunity to win the game. And I think, again, playing Georgia at a point in time where they're still trying to identify guys in key positions where they have huge losses is going to be one of those opportunities for Oregon to take advantage of. And Oregon certainly has losses of their own to consider. Kayvon Thibodeau, Verone McKinley, I think the most notable ones there, you're incorporating a new quarterback and a new offense, but it's not anything like 15 players to the NFL draft. Because those are not just players who are on the roster and playing a season ago. Those are high-level players who are making impact plays, play in, you know, series in, series out, and such. Uh, And one other thing I was uh, thinking of, Georgie, is if it doesn't go the way we all want it to, and Oregon is not able to go get a victory in Atlanta, which would be even bigger than the win at Ohio State last year, I, I could argue because they yeah. have the title of uh, reigning national champions. No. No. Every season that has started with a neutral site SEC loss for Oregon in the last 10 years or so has ended with a Rose Bowl victory. So maybe it's just a win-win. Maybe we either beat Georgia or we're going to win the Rose Bowl at the end of the year. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, right? yeah, me too. Me too. If I knew that was the future, I agree. So <laughs> Yeah, it, it didn't feel that way at the time, right? I mean, when... Yeah. 
uh, when Bo Nix was able to to heave up that touchdown and, and get the complete the comeback there late in the game in uh, in Jerry's World in 2019, I don't think any of us Oregon fans were thinking this is going to end in a Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl. It's just you know, I was talking the other day about about having some foresight and understanding that I don't think the Ducks' season will be defined in their non-conference slate. I think it'll be defined more in, in their their conference schedule just because. You play some tough teams. Uh, BYU, as you know, is not going to be an easy game. It's going to be a very tough game at home. Could see a lot of points in, in that one. And I, I expect Oregon to start two and one here through their first three. But if it is one and two, there's still a, a lot of football to to be played. Should that happen? And, and the point I made on on Wednesday's show was Utah. They started one and two in yeah. 2021, and they were that close to win in a Rose Bowl and they had the the confetti come down for a conference championship like there, there's a lot to happen there but uh, there's also a lot of football to be played and at the end of the day Georgia has to make make up for the losses that they had from a season ago and I, I, I hope mentally I hope Oregon is able to come out and kind of feel like they're playing with house money because no one much like at Ohio state, no one's expecting him to win this game. You're going to go across college game day and it's going to be Georgia, Georgia, Georgia across the board. And everyone's picking Georgia and Georgia's the big favorite and everything. And I hope that, that the Oregon players look at that and go, all right, well then I guess we have nothing to lose. So why don't we play like it and just, and just open them up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You Right. When you went to that Utah, example is exactly what I had in my head, you know, from the standpoint of what they did last year and how they went through the process. And, you know, they had some circumstances that had happened previous to the season that they were dealing with, but they dealt with it and they fought through it. And they weren't very good on the road last year with non-conference games in particular. They have a big one, obviously, you know, against Florida this weekend as well. Yeah, so you huge. get those, another another SEC matchup. But what they did last year, I think it was a perfect example of, of working through that process, even, even as uh, maybe things work against you and, and you play some really tough teams to begin the season. You know, one of the things that's going to be really important, I think, for this Duck team, though, Spencer, is, you know, they've lost three of their last four games, right? Two against Utah that Alamo Bowl loss to Oklahoma, and then they kick off the season this year against Georgia and game three against BYU. You, you know, you want to, you, you hope to be at two and one before you go to Washington state and see what happens up there. And it's really important to see what, you know, that this team I think gets through those first three games at two and one. But when you start off with a game, a game with like Georgia, um, it's going to be difficult. I still really like the position of this team, um, I like the get that they got in Bo Nix at quarterback, a guy who has played in these type of games, has played this team, the Georgia Bulldogs, multiple times, has, has been in, on the big stage multiple times. And so he's not going to be he'll be nervous like any of us are in any type of situation when you're on the big stage like that. But, you know, having a guy like that that's had experience in games like that um, is going to be really, really important with a really, really good defense um, there's, there's some key positions. Obviously this duck team is going to have to fill, uh, at the running back position. You and I were talking about it before we got on here at the running back position, you know, who are going to be your key wide receivers that Bo Nix is able to get the ball to. Uh, but I like this team in the trenches on both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive line. I think they play physical football. They play sec brand of football. And if you can win those trenches, I think you've got a really good opportunity to win this game.
yeah, I, I think the trenches are key because what we've seen kind of uh, unravel Oregon in, in a sense, right? They haven't been, you know, horrific losses. The LSU went a little bit more so, but the biggest difference in these SEC games we've seen over the years against the, the premier programs has been the offensive and defensive lines, right? I mean, think back to the 2010 National Championship game. The MVP of that game was not Cam Newton. Nick Aliotti and company shut him down better than just about everybody did, better than Nick Saban did, and he did it with probably an inferior roster from a talent recruiting standpoint. The MVP of that game was Nick Fairley. Oregon couldn't block him. Darren Thomas was rattled by him. I think he had... You know, what? one of his worst games from a Reed standpoint, he made some phenomenal plays, but he made some uncharacteristic plays because he had pressure in his face all day. And I think the most important thing for Oregon going into this game against Georgia, the offensive line, which I think is one of the best Oregon's had in the last decade or so, they are, they were really good last year and they return everyone but George Moore, the fourth, and you slide in a five-star freshman into the rotation at some point and Josh Connerly, I think they can be really good, but... I don't know if you feel differently, Jorgie. I think they have to hold up first if Oregon's going to have a chance to to pull this upset. You've got to be able to run the football, not like you did last year necessarily against Ohio State, but you have to be able to run it effectively enough to keep the defense honest. I, I think being one-dimensional is, is just kind of a death sentence for Oregon's offense here. And you've got to be able to keep Bo Nix upright and give him a chance to get the ball to the playmakers. Yeah, uh, Jalen Carter is that Nick Fairley that, that Oregon's going to have to pay attention yeah. to for the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, like we talked about early in this, uh, you know, three defensive linemen in the first round of the NFL. You wonder why they won the national championship. Well, oftentimes, as you've heard it said before, defenses win championships. And that's exactly what Georgia did last year. They were absolutely dominating in almost every single game all throughout the season. And and that's what got them there. And again, they lost a lot of guys. But Jalen Carter is that one anchor that they can build that defense around that Oregon's going to have to pay attention to and is going to have to be able to handle. And uh, and so it's really going to come down to that is the trenches, I think, is the ability to be able to run the ball, to take some of the pressure off of Bo Nix, who, you know, I, I wouldn't consider him a pocket passer. passer. Um, I think Kenny Dillingham would like him to have a great, great presence in the, in the pocket. But that's not the way he plays. I mean, he ad-libs, makes a lot of plays outside the pocket. But if you can protect a guy like that where he can deliver the ball from inside the pocket, not have Carter in his face, uh, be able to get the ball down the field to the wide receivers that I think we saw last year, particularly in that Oklahoma game, when you finally get the opportunity to open up the offense and stretch the field, uh, there's players there and there's playmakers there. Hudson, uh, Seven McGee, uh, Troy Franklin. Uh, there's there's just a ton of guys in that offense. If you can give a guy like Bo Nix or Ty Thompson or Butterfield the opportunity, depending on who's playing at that quarterback position, to get that ball down the field, it's going to be a real key. But I still think it's the it's the trenches on both sides of the ball. Oregon's defense with Dorless and Taimani and uh, Funa and the, the two inside linebackers. And I just think that defense has the nucleus to be dominating if they can control the line of scrimmage. And if Oregon's offensive line can establish some sort of running game, I think Oregon's in real good shape with this one. It just, I got to tell you, Spencer, I feel good about it. Maybe it's just one of those weird feelings that's going to be completely wrong. But I feel, I feel good about this from an Oregon standpoint. I think if they can hit a couple of certain benchmarks, then they can compete in this one. Like we're talking about with the trenches. I think the other thing too, 
you got to win the turnover battle. If you give Georgia some short fields, that offense has got more explosive players than than people might realize because all the talk with Georgia and Kirby Smart is the defense, but they have more returning production on offense and they've got NFL caliber guys on that side of the ball as well. I think you got to win the turnover battle and be able to at least hold your own at the line of scrimmage. I think those are the two kind of pivot points for Oregon to stay around in this game because if you get down 7 nothing early and then throw a bad interception that gives Georgia a short field and, and you've basically spotted them you know, 10 or 14 points, that's not a position. That's not how Oregon got it done against Ohio State last year, right? The Ducks were 0-0 at the end of the first quarter. Then they scored first, and then they just kept holding serve when, when they needed to and kind of held down the fort. I, I think that getting behind early because of turnovers or just having the, the line of scrimmage dominated by Georgia is how th- this game could get away from, from Oregon. Defensively, what, what concerns me the, the most from Oregon's perspective is how they're going to generate pressure without Kayvon Thibodeau. I, I saw a defense last year that struggled to do that consistently when he was not on the field and at the very least drawing attention, if not generating the pressure himself. As you look at this matchup, and you could go to the offensive side of the ball too, what concerns you the most about this matchup with Georgia? Oregon's defense against Georgia's offense or just as a whole? As, as a whole. You can, go, you can go either side of the ball. That That's my number one concern is Stetson Bennett could be yeah. really comfortable if that defensive line can't win some one-on-ones. Yeah, when he's comfortable, he's good. There's no doubt about it. I mean, most quarterbacks are, obviously. Right. Is when you're comfortable back there and you know you've got an offensive line that, you know, Nine out of ten times, there's going to be no pressure pressure on you. You can sit in the pocket, deliver to four and five star wide receivers. Brock Bowers at the tight end position, who's the best in the country. You know, when you've got no pressure against you, no doubt about it. But I think one of the things that Dan Lanning does such a good job of is dialing up the pressure uh, with with flow, uh, with Sewell. Uh, being able to take somebody like DJ Johnson, who I think now is at his natural position as a defensive lineman and a defensive end. Uh, he's been really, really tough to block all fall long. Uh, not just Dorless, who it's it's funny. I, I think one of the things that my my broadcast partner Jerry Allen and I always talked about this year and were amazed with last year is the amount of broadcasters of the opposing team that we would talk to that we always thought were going to come ask us about Kayvon Thibodeau. They want to know about Brandon Dorless more than anybody because they felt like Dorless made Thibodeau as good as he did. Not that Thibodeau really? wasn't good all by himself, right. but the questions we got about the disruptive type of player that Dorless was, that he wasn't always there in the backfield to make the sack, but if he couldn't get there, ball would, was batted down. Uh, he was taking guys and just basically pile driving the, the offensive lineman into the lap of the quarterback. So he couldn't step forward and make a play, didn't have a pocket to be able to step up into, you know, the amount of people that we had talk about Brandon Dorless. And I think that's a guy to really keep an eye on in this game is he's driven, he's motivated to be that next line of guys. And, and again, I think any of the NFL scouts, along the defensive line tend to have their eye on Dorless more than anybody. But when you got Dorless, DJ Johnson, Funa, uh, Taimani, you know, some of those guys that, that, that come back, Popo Amavai coming back. I, th- I think the depth of that, that defensive line and the defensive line position of being able to rotate guys in and out in a game like this, that's going to be very physical. 
uh, is a huge advantage to Oregon because I can't say they had that depth last year. I think this year they got the depth, a couple of Nebraska transfers that have been playing really well uh, during fall ball. And, and again, the depth at the linebacker position too, it's beyond flow and, and, and beyond Sewell uh, that, that Leduc and, and Brown and Bossa. Bossa yeah. yeah. I think they're four or five deep at that inside linebacker position. And so defensively, I think they're, they're set up really well uh, to defend this Georgia offense and to keep the ducks in the game throughout. Yeah, I, I hope Keith Brown can uh, stay on the field a little. He was there, you know, because of some injuries, uh, most notably to Justin Flo, who I really hope can can stay on the field because he's yeah. some kind of athlete. But uh, Brown is such a big guy. He's the sort of guy who I, I see a, as a as a run stuffer first as a linebacker. And that's, I think, a really useful thing for Dan Lang to have to be able to put him in there as a big body, maybe in a goal line situation, try and just – it, you know, create some havoc and, you know, half swallow up a double team, get a push, drive a running back back. I, I like Keith Brown, and I, I think he's done a, a lot of good things. Finally, uh, last thing I want to ask you, Jorgie, stepping back from the Georgia game uh, just a little bit, what are you most excited about for Oregon football in 2022? If you had to pick one thing, what what excites you the most about the upcoming season? You know, I just really think the 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 enthusiasm behind this coaching staff, what Dan Lanning has put together. Um, you know, for me, and I, you know, you you never know when you start to get up in age, you, you get a little bit reflective on what's going on. Doing this for 33, 34 years, how many more years do I have to go? Everything else that goes with it, but the breath of fresh air that Dan Lanning has infused into this program is what I'm most excited about, not just this year, but in the future. Uh, the, the, the recruiting capability of this coaching staff that he's put together, uh, the, the balance that he puts together in relation to uh, work, life, togetherness, the way that this team works, uh, watching him coach and listening to him coach on the field and how he goes about communicating to this team it's it's just a breath of fresh air. It's not something I've seen on a regular basis, even over the last 15 or 20 years. And again, you know, I look back at Mike Blotty or Chip Kelly or Mark Helfrich or you know Willie Taggart or uh, uh, Mario Cristobal. All those guys did you know particular things really really well. There's just something about Dan Lanning that that is just it gets me excited as a 59 year old. Okay. And, and, and he's half or me a little bit over half my age, but all of a sudden you start looking at this coaching staff as a guy who's been around as long as I have. And it's like, gosh, these guys are young, but they're really good at what they do. And he's really good at what he's, what he does. And I just think that the, the, the future is really bright. The future may be now we're going to find out, you know, first three or four games this season and as the season goes on, but the future is really bright for this program. Uh, I think Rob Mullins did a fantastic job of getting a guy like Dan Lanning in here. And uh, that's what I'm most excited about. There's individuals that I look forward to seeing, but at the same time, I just look forward to, to, to watching him coach uh, the staff that he's put together and the way that his team responds to him. Well, Lanning has been on planet Earth for just a few more years than Jorgie has been up in the booth alongside Jerry Allen. You'll hear him all season long. Once again, Duck fans, Mike Jorgensen, over 30 years as Oregon's radio color commentator and someone I've listened to for longer than I will tell him about right now. Jorgie, I appreciate you taking the time. It's great to talk to you again. All right, Spencer. Thanks for having me on. Go Ducks.
I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.